Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM. On this day 11 in the counting of the Omer, one week and four days, day number 11 in the counting of the Omer. Today is Yom Hazikaron La Shoah Va Lagvura. It is known as Holocaust and Heroism Remembrance Day known colloquially in Israel and around the Jewish world as Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day. It's observed as Israel's day of commemoration for the approximately six million who perished in the Holocaust. Yom HaShoah is set aside for the 27th of Nisan. If the 27th of Nisan is adjacent to Shabbos, this year being a perfect example, then it's moved to Thursday, the 26th of Nisan, and that is today, Yom HaShoah. Yom HaShoah opens in Israel at sundown in a state ceremony held in the Warsaw Ghetto Square at Yad Vashem. The national flag is lowered to half-mass. The president and prime minister delivers speeches. Holocaust survivors light six torches symbolizing the six million, and the chief rabbis recite prayers. Today on Yom HaShoah, ceremonies and services are held at schools, military bases, and by other public and community organizations. Places of public entertainment are closed. Israeli television airs Holocaust material and Holocaust-related talk shows, and low-key songs are played on the radio similar to what we are doing here today at JM in the AM. At 10 o'clock in the morning, 3 a.m. Eastern Time, an air raid siren sounds throughout Israel, and Israelis are expected to observe two minutes of solemn reflection. Here's what that sounds like on this Yom HaShoah 5781.
אני מאמין באמונה שלמה, בביאס המשיח. אני מאמין באמונה שלמה, בביאס המשיח. אני מאמין באמונה שלמה, בביאס המשיח. בביאס המשיח. אני מאמין באמונו של אימו, בביאס המושיח. אני מאמין באמונו של אימו, בביאס המושיח. אני מאמין באמונו של אימו, בביאס המושיח.
ashes in the sky Your name on the lips of your children Who knew that they would not survive Cause my voice 
Er steht nun er bete zu 
J.M. in the A.M. on this Yom HaShoah V'Hagvura. Appropriate selections to set the appropriate mood for this Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day. It's something that's done in Israel as well, as entertainment uh, venues are closed uh, today, as uh, uh, Israeli radio focuses on uh, slow, introspective songs, many of them, of course, having to do with the Holocaust directly. And um, and that's a trend that we follow when Yom HaShoah is observed. Yom HaShoah is tomorrow, 27th of Nisan, because of its proximity to Shabbos. Uh, Israel moves it to Thursday. Imagine, imagine. They move a, 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 an important day of memorial because of Shabbos, again declaring to the world that Shabbos is more important than anything else. It's, a, it's amazing. And the same, of course, will be said next week regarding Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmod, all of which are moved up by two days to avoid the possibility of someone celebrating on Shabbos. Makes you think. Makes you think. Especially with this year, Lagba Omer being on a Friday. Makes you think about the... Uh, the 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 
the level of uh, priorities or the types of priorities that we have a Jew- as a Jewish people have. Dveikis in that set with Inevinkala, La Kolzman, Kolbrama, Yedid Nefesh, Gam Kielach, Yerdarye Kunstler's Yizkarem, Shmakolenu, uh, the group Shmakolenu with their Yizkarem, Avharachamim, Aish with Animamin, Yitzchak Meir Helfgott with Yizkarem, you heard the Animamin done at the Siamashas last year, and of course Regesh with Modani opening things up. 11th day in the counting of the Omer. Today's day number 11 in the counting of the Omer, one week and four days. We forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. We'll speak with a young man who wrote a book about his grandfather, uh, who was a Holocaust survivor. That's coming up in uh, the 8 o'clock hour when Svi Weisenfeld joins us. We're going to speak to one of our friends from Turo College who has some uh, interesting comments regarding remembering the Holocaust. Leon Goldenberg will join us. This has become a tradition for us here at JM and the AM during Yom HaShoah. It's all happening between now and 9 a.m. Eastern Time at JM in the AM. Galitzal in the background. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday. Yom HaShoah follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. Galitzal, Rasha Ashtayim, Kangoni Kohen, Ima Shikore Achshav. Yom HaZikaron LaShoah VeLagvura Tav Shin Pei Alef. Lepnei Zman Katsar Tam Atekes Lechol Ish Yeshem, Shehitkayim Bemishkan HaKneset Bierushalayim, Uvemalachoi Kriu Chavrei HaKneset HaKadasha, את שמות קרוביהם שנספו. ראש הממשלה בנימין נתניהו נשא דברים ואמר, ההנצחה היא חלק מהטבע האנושי. גם נשיא המדינה ראובן ריבלין נאם בטקס, והתייחס לאירועי הזיכרון אשתקד ברקע מגבלות הקורונה. בשנה שעברה בצל המגפה העולמית, קיימנו את האירוע הזה במתכונת מיוחדת. עשינו זאת משום שיש דברים שהם בקודש הקודשים שלנו. גם ברגעים החשובים ההם, לפיד הזיכרון לא קבע. הרצון להנציח את מתנו תבוע עמוק בטבע האנושי. הטקס הזה מבטא אותו, אבל ביתר סט, משום שהרצון להנציח מקבל משנה תוקף בעמנו, שאיבד מיליונים מאחיותינו ומאחינו בשואה. נשיאת בית המשפט העליון, השופטת אסתר חיות, סיפרה על קורות משפחתה בפולין והקריאה את שמות הנספים. ואלה שמות קרוביי ויקיריי שנספו בשואה. סבתי שעל שמה אני קרויה, אסתר שטיינברכר, וילדיה מלכה לבת השש ומוני אקפן השמונה, אחי אבי, שהוצאו להורג בעיירה בן דין בפולין. בעוד כשעה יפתח מצעד החיים המסורתי שהתקיים השנה בשל מגבלות מגפת הקורונה באופן מקוון, זאת לאחר שבשנה שעברה לא נערך בכלל מטעמים דומים. הנה דברים שאמר יושב ראש הסוכנות היהודית יצחק בוז'י הרצוג לכתבנו יותם פוגל. מצעד החיים מחבר בין ששת מיליון הנספים בשואת העם היהודי לשבעים ושלוש. שנות קיומה של מדינת היהודים. בין מי ששמעו על השואה ממקור ראשון למי שלא הספיקו. נוסיף לצעוד במצעד החיים כל שנה מדי שנה, כדי שאיש לא יוכל לשכוח את השפל הארור אליו הגיעה האנושות. עוד בחדשות בג"ץ קבע הפרופסור עודד גולדרייך, שבחירתו על ידי ועדת פרס ישראל עוררה את התנגדות שר החינוך לנוכח פעילותו נגד ההכרה בתנועת ה-BDS כאנטישמית, 
לא יקבל את הפרס בטקס שייערך בשבוע הבא. הרכב השופטים קיבל את עמדת המדינה והעניק לשר גלנט 30 ימים נוספים כדי לבחון אם קיימים עוד מסמכים הדומים לעצומה בהכרה גולדרייך להחרים את אוניברסיטת אריאל. כתבתנו איילת ברון, שפרסמה את פרטי העצומה לראשונה, מציינת כי אם הפרופסור גולדרייך יקבל לבסוף את הפרס, זה יהיה בטקס בשנה הבאה או במועד מוקדם יותר לבחירתו. הגננת המתעללת כרמל מעודה, שהורשעה ביותר מעשר עבירות של התעללות בפעוטות ותקיפת קטין, עלתה לדוכן העדים בבית המשפט המחוזי בלוד. אני רוצה להתנצל בפני הילדים, אני מתביישת במעשים שלי ומתחרטת, אמרה מעודה בדמעות. בתגובה קראו ההורים באולם, אולי בקבר. כמו כן, במהלך ההפסקה בדיון פרצה מהומה, כשהורי הילדים קיללו את מעודה וניסו להגיע אליה. אך נבלמו על ידי משמר בתי המשפט. כתבנו בנצר מציין שמוקדם יותר ביקשה הפרקליטות לגזור על מעודה 14 שנות מאסר בגין התעללות בילדים. הותר לפרסום, נכדו של הרב אליעזר ברלנד, הרב נחמן גולדבלום, הוא החשוד בגרימת מותו של הנער שמעון הלר, זכרו לברכה, שטבע למוות בנחל פרת. כתבנו שחר גליק מוסר שהמשטרה מייחסת לגולדבלום גרימת מוות ברשלנות, כיוון שהיה אחראי על הטיול של תלמידי הישיבה ביום ראשון, כשהלר בן ה-16 טבע למוות. מיד אחרי החדשות בגלי צה"ל, ציפי גון גרוס בשיחה עם צבי גיל על מסע חייו, מהגטו ומחנה ההשמדה ועד לראשות מערכת החדשות של כל ישראל, בזמן משפט אייכמן. רציתי מאוד לראות את דמותו של אדם, שלפי כתב התביעה, הוא אחראי על השינוע של מיליונים אל מכונת המוות. ואני מסתכל על אדם, מין... כלום כזה שהייתי מושיב אותו מאחורי דלפק של הדואר. וזה האדם? מזג האוויר, ירידה ניכרת בטמפרטורות ועלייה בלחות, אלה החדשות. יום הזיכרון לשואה ולגבורה, תשפ"א. עכשיו בגלי צה"ל, ציפי גון גרוס. Thank <laughs> ZANG <laughs> Ah, the 
חתם זכר, לא שחט שחט הנביא, ואומר
J.M. in the A.M. Today is Yom HaShoah V'Hagvura. Playing inspiring music that will uh, keep us thinking about the theme of the day and the feeling, the atmosphere of the day. And I thank you all for tuning in to the first of many specials over the next few weeks here at J.M. in the A.M. 
That was Maishi Menlowitz with a medley entitled Soul Stirring. Before that, Chaim David and Yizkarim, his take on the unfortunately very well-known words in Jewish history, Yizkarim. Today is Yom HaShoah HaGvura. Today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. I want to thank those who have been commenting on the app, the NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone. Much appreciated. Poignant words from some of our listeners. Trucker Yitz says, Very happy to be alive because of events that brought my family to the Americas in the late 1800s and early 1900s. But 50 years later, the whole shtetl was wiped out. We can never forget those that didn't get out of the hands of the murderous, the, uh, the hands of our murderous enemies. This listener says, thank you to JM and the AM. As always, you start our mornings accordingly. Yom HaShoah is no exception. Very meaningful, very powerful. Much appreciated. David says, both my parents were survivors, as was my father-in-law, who was already Nifter before I met my wife. In the last three months, my father's last remaining brother and sister were Nifter. This year is the first Yom HaShoah without any living survivors from my family. May all their neshamas have an aliyah. Let's keep that in mind. We, uh, We hear it very often, and we say it very often that the final survivors are are leaving us. And um, although it becomes a mantra that uh, that we get used to, we have to remember how important it is to keep their stories, their legacy, and the history of our people through their eyes and experiences alive. Uh, We'll meet somebody in the 8 o'clock hour, a young man who's actually done that, and we'll explain uh, coming up what that means. Uh, also, um, Professor Israel Singer is going to join us. Turo College comments about the Holocaust and has re- how it relates to today. And um, we'll have that coming up on this Yom HaShoah V'Hagvura, Holocaust Remembrance Day. Full schedule here at the Nahum Siegel Network, our... Uh, our... Um, Programming will, in some ways, reflect the mood of the day. Uh, people like Charlie Harari and others will be addressing Yom HaShoah today. As we go through the day, we'll drift back into our regular format. And I remind you that tonight, Mark Zamek will present the uh, Arab Shabbos Parsha Shmini show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That'll begin at 7 p.m. and be encored at 3 a.m. and 10 a.m. tomorrow an opportunity to hear a program specifically created, produced, directed, and designated for this specific Shabbos. And I thank Mark for that. It's so 7 p.m. tonight, again toward the end of our regular Thursday schedule, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And we will have that for you here at the Nahum Siegel Network. More coming up. It's Yom HaShoah HaGvura. We often play this... Uh, this album on Yom HaShoah, it's called Heritage, composed and arranged by Michael Isaacson with the Israel Philharmonic Orchestra, brought to you by the Museum of Jewish Heritage, a living memorial to the Holocaust, on this Yom HaShoah at JM in the AM.
the Israeli Philharmonic in their interpretation of some of the folk songs of the day <clears throat> during the era of the 1930s in Europe. Yom HaShoah here at JM and the M. One of our listeners says my father was 16 when he was liberated from Auschwitz. And two weeks ago, my son, his namesake, just had his first child. I am so in awe of Hashem's kindness to see the Hemshech Hadoros, the continuation of the generations, wishing much nachas and strength and good health to these heroes. <sighs> Certainly uh, one of the ways of uh, eventually defeating the enemy seems to be the trend in Jewish history. Thursday morning, Yom HaShoah, Thursday, 50 degrees, sunshine, a high of 66, clouds tonight, low 47, and tomorrow, cloudy skies, high temperature of 58 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 73, we're at 50 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. want to thank all of our sponsors. It's no secret that they keep us going. Uh, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954, available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. And we thank them and all of our wonderful sponsors here at the Nahum Siegel Network. want to remind everybody on this Yom HaShoah that our friends at uh, ShopEichlers.com have 25,000 titles, Sfarim, Yiddish titles, 25,000 in what is now being called the world's largest online uh, Sfarim collection, the, the site that has the most offerings in the world of Sfarim and Yiddish titles. And right now they're, um, uh, their big sale going until the... Uh, 15th of April gives you 10% off on all Sfarim and Yiddish titles during this Sfarim week at shopeichlers.com. So take advantage. Go to the website, shopeichlers.com slash Sfarim slash four. Again, that's shopeichlers.com slash Sfarim, S-E-F-A-R-I-M slash the number four. And take advantage of their same-day delivery to Borough Park, Flatbush, Williamsburg, Crown Heights, Staten Island, Queens, Five Towns, Far Rockaway, Muncie, Monroe, Teaneck, Lakewood, Toms River, and... Jackson, New Jersey. Go to shopeichlers.com. And today is Yom HaShoah, and I guarantee you they have thousands of appropriate titles, Sfarim, Yiddish, and others um, that you will find on the website. Go to shopeichlers.com. Thursday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Day 11 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day number 11 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas Arav Zebin of Yosef Alevi, and Zechonishmas Esther Basar Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We say in the Avarachamim, Minisharim Kalu, they were swifter than eagles, Ume Arroyos Gaveru, and stronger than lions, La Sosritzon Kainom, in order to do the will of their Creator. The six million who perished, Al Kiddush Hashem, Men, women, children, even babies. We remember their deeds. We remember the world that turned its back on Klau Yisrael and how so many could have been saved but weren't. On this day, 
we remember that at a time in this world, when there was Onis Rachmana Patre, under the situation and the conditions of torture, the threat of annihilation, Jews were exempt from many of the mitzvos. Yet, they were Moshe Nefesh, they self-sacrificed to perform as many mitzvos as they could, even sometimes risking their life not to eat on Yom Kippur, to keep the Shabbos, to do all of the mitzvahs that they possibly could, including eating matzah on Pesach and sitting in a sukkah on Sukkos. How wonderful it is that we have their lives, their noble lives, and all the acts of Mesiris Nefesh to continue to guide us in this Golos. There was an unbelievable question that was asked in the Shilas Tshuvas Mimamakim, the responsa written during and after the Holocaust by Rabbi Ephraim Meshri. There was one man who unfortunately, a survivor of the camps, came with the following Shila. The Nazis one time saw him trying to put tefillin on. They noticed that he was putting on the tefillin shalyad, the tefillin of the arm. In their wrath, they came and beat him mercilessly. They were not satisfied until they had tattooed, engraved on his arm in the place of the tefillin shalyad, a cross. This survivor comes and asks the following question. He would like to have the cross removed. He would like, if he has to keep it, when he wears tefillin, to put a small, perhaps a shirt sleeve or a cloth on top of it. He is embarrassed about it and would like to hide it. Can he do any of those eitzes which he had thought about? Rabbi Yashri told him, God forbid, don't you ever be embarrassed. Don't you ever be ashamed. You wear it proudly. You put the tefillin right on your arm. You show everybody, Netzach Yisrael, that Klau Yisrael is victorious, that we are eternal, that you survived, that you had endured for doing a mitzvah, such torture, and you will continue to show that proudly as an os, as a sign to everyone that we are survivors, that we will continue, that the mitzvahs are dear to us. In Be'ez Hashem, may we soon see the day, the when Mashiach will come and all of those that perished will once again rise and be reunited together with their families and dance together and sing together. May that day come soon.
JM in the AM. Thursday morning broadcast. We asked our friends from Turo College. We said because we've been uh, featuring a whole bunch of people from Turo College recently, as you know. We said who would be appropriate to bring on on Yomar Shoah to discuss a variety of topics about this important day. And boy, did they come up with the perfect guest for us. And I want to thank them. Uh, Dr. Israel Singer, Vice President of International Affairs at Turo, Professor of Contemporary Jury at Lander, and the Graduate School of uh, Jewish Studies. Uh, Dr. Singer was named Secretary General of the World Jewish Congress in 1985, served there for two decades. He's now Honorary President of the International Jewish Committee for Interreligious Consultations. In 2002, he received the Jerusalem Prize for Jewish Leadership from the Nation of Israel for his work in the restoration of Jewish property and other restitution efforts, and he's taught political science and political theories in a variety of institutions, including, of course, at Turo College here in uh, New York. Uh, Dr. Israel Singer, an honor to welcome you to JM in the AM on this Yom HaShoah. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be up early to speak to you. I uh, like hearing your voice, uh, mm. even uh, when it's not early. I appreciate that very much. We're going to get into a couple of issues regarding what this day is all about. Just practically speaking, so people understand and know Turo's commitment to both Jewish history and, of course, modern Jewish history in relationship to the uh, topic of the Shoah, I'd have to assume, and I'd ask you for a comment, uh, that the Jewish History Department and uh, the one that deals specifically with Holocaust programs at Turo uh, likely is rich with uh, many courses and a variety of courses of studies and professors who can address a lot of these issues and educate those from our community and from other communities uh, about uh, the Shoah and modern Jewish history. Can you just give us a, a quick overview about what Turo makes available to its students? Very quick summary. Uh, we, we have a Ph.D. program in Jewish history, which uh, specializes in uh, many, many fields. But one of them, of course, is one that Dr. Lander, the founder of the school, and uh, his successor, Dr. Kadish, have been especially committed to, and that is the uh, study of the Holocaust and uh, the study of uh, human rights uh, and the violations of uh, the genocide agreement. Uh, I, I can tell you that we have a special uh, program in Berlin, uh, which we teach uh, as part of the denazification program in Germany. Uh, people in Europe, in the entire European Union, uh, about the Holocaust and how to protect people from uh, repetition of such violence. Uh, but more importantly, uh, we uh, every year bring a group of young people, I, I had that program myself, uh, to uh, uh, Europe to visit not just uh, concentration camps, uh, but as well uh, places in which uh, the the human species became so low uh, that it was not even predicted uh, in any of the uh, early historical documents. Uh, nothing like the Holocaust ever happened before. And uh, we try to teach young people from the United States, from Turo College and others who uh, join us uh, every summer. Uh, hopefully we might have part of this program this summer as well. Last summer it was virtual, uh, and we teach them about the Holocaust. They have been participants in the room where uh, the war criminals were tried uh, in Nuremberg. They were participants in the places in which Hitler uh, 
created the mass psychosis which caused the uh, the rallies to get millions of people to become participants in uh, violence that had never been known before without any cause, uh, just racism and uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, this is one of the unique programs. It should be followed by others. It's a summer abroad program, and yeah. uh, it's a four-credit program for undergraduate and graduate students. Everybody gets to write a paper from their perspective as to what they saw and what they learned. Dr. Israel Singer with us. Uh, information about all this at Turo College, of course, Turo.edu. Turo.edu, as you hear on this Yom HaShoah, they are committed uh, to not just a, a, a rich Jewish history department, but one that concentrates tremendously on many different aspects, facets, and angles of the Holocaust uh, as it relates to our community and beyond. Um, today is Yom HaShoah, of course, and uh, based on your experience uh, with all the different positions you've held and what you've seen over the last many, many decades, um, it, it would be interesting to hear your perspective about what's going on in 2021 as we look back today and get everyone in the proper mood for what happened back in World War II. How relevant are the events of World War II to the events that we, as a much freer people, are going through in the United States and other parts of the world today? To make any comparison uh, between uh, events that we're going through today and what happened during the Holocaust is uh, absolutely an exaggeration. Uh, that was a unique event in history. Uh, it should be taught as such. It was the particular downgrading of the human species to a degree uh, that uh, seems not to have happened before. And we have uh, studies in which we do comparative analyses of various kinds of misbehavior throughout history. But uh, to discuss the one point which is comparative in our society today to that period, that is the concept of neutrality, the concept of people standing by and not doing anything, not participating, not helping their own relatives get visas to come to the United States, not sending affidavits American Jews didn't send their own relatives affidavits because they were afraid they might be a burden and rather let them be burned. 4.2 million people were reported as having been killed, scared, shot uh, by 1943, and uh, my whole family was already killed, and my parents were not sent uh, affidavits by their relatives in the United States to come to the United States where they could have been saved. This kind of repetition, where people watch other people being killed, even their own relatives, and look at only themselves, are a nation of navel-gazers, people who concern themselves only with themselves, rather than the pain of other people, is being repeated now. There are other people, and I make no comparison between illness and uh, violence and genocide, but People ignore other people and their illness and take care of only themselves. People grab spaces ahead of other people, like people changing places online in the concentration camps so that they might go to a labor camp or get an extra portion of food. Whole countries like Switzerland are models as to how people shouldn't behave because they were neutral in the face of evil. Even Jews 
are warned that we should remember Zohar. And then the, just to make sure that we get a kick in the pants so that we don't behave the same way, again, we're told lo tishkach. It's the only place where we see that kind of behavior because people do. That's why that's a warning. Uh, it's nice to teach about these things. We try our best at the school. It's nice to take people to show them how low man can think by visiting places like this. However, and the March of the Living was a perfect example that was started by uh, the Minister of Finance, then of Israel, uh, Avram Hirson. And I really want to tell you that, that, you know, many people did many things to help those people. But in this country, I was president of the Claims Conference. My first duty as president of the Claims Conference was to try and get pensions right. to Jews who lived in Eastern Europe. Right. Millions of Jews lived in Eastern Europe, and we American Jews followed the Cold War narrative by not sending our own people pensions and just taking care of the people in the United States and the other diaspora countries. When people in Russia were starving, they were, they were treated terribly by the Nazis, treated terribly by the communists, and then treated terribly by the Jews who decided to be good Americans during the Cold War as opposed to being good Jews and good citizens, good relatives, and let the people there starve. Uh, so there's a lot of neutrality. And neutrality in the face of evil is participation. And that's the kind of thing that I think particularly religious Jews in yeshivas shouldn't choose only one day to remember them. There should be a certain memory every day for religious Jews. We started saying, after the crusade, we started saying nothing after the Holocaust. It's going to be forgotten only three generations, it's only 70 years, and already we're well along the way of forgetting. Dr. Israel Singer is with us. He is um, professor of Jewish history and much more over at the Turo College. Um, we talk about what's happening today and, and your comments about neutrality or uh, what some people might call a, um, a desire to be indifferent uh, is so important. Do, do you see? Do you see this in a in an even deeper sense because of the effects of the pandemic? Have have the feelings you've had about the era we're in uh, grown even sharper because of what you've seen over the last year? Absolutely. Uh, I think many many people uh, see the pandemic as already having passed because they've been vaccinated. Uh, everything look, is looked upon by a personal perspective as opposed to a national perspective or a familial perspective even. I mean, my God, you can't go into shul and say this thing is over and just stand there because you don't like to have your mouth muzzled by a mask. I mean, remember, your grandfather, uh, he might die because of your interest in freedom or your interest in comfort. It's even worse in some cases. People just want to be a little more comfortable. Uh, I really want to tell you there's no comparison between a, uh, uh, a, a, a situation like our pandemic. Uh, but right now, the pandemic is the worst thing that ever happened because right. it's happening to people themselves. Right. Everything about themselves. Judaism was created uh, as a religion by Kaddish Baruch Hu to create a better world a world in which we're supposed to protect 
every other person, not only ourselves. And I think that the self has become so uh, overwhelming and so overriding in the rich society in, we, in which we live uh, that we have forgotten the other. Uh, Dr. Israel Singer's with us. You've made some amazing points for this Yom HaShoah. I mean, especially the Zachor Al Tishkach. I mean, the uh, juxtaposition of remembering and uh, and and the the um, tendency that we as human beings have uh, in terms of being forgetful. I mean, it's uh, such an important point for today. Um, it, there are those, even though it shouldn't be only one day a year, you know this, that there are those, and, and thank God, by the way, that at least they're brave enough in some cases to actually bring it up, uh, who will be uh, with their students today in school, uh, some in yeshivas that are not really concentrating on the theme of the day, but certain uh, rabbeim and teachers might take it upon themselves to mention it and to and to tell the young people, you know, maybe how lucky they are to be in the United States or the differences between living today and living back then. Uh, for a kid during the Shoah, what would you say would be an effective way, uh, in an informal manner, I'm not talking about the programs and the trips that you described earlier, and kudos to Turo for that, but what would you do if you walked into a classroom today and 10, 11, 12-year-olds or teenagers are sitting there and you wanted to bring this point across to them about why today is so important? I would describe my personal experience. I was a child uh, in my early teens, and my parents decided to take me, which it wasn't easy in those days. Uh, We weren't a wealthy family, but we were an educated family. My parents took me to Israel to the Eichmann trial. And I sat on my, we only had two seats, my father and mother, and I sat in between them in the crack for hours and hours and hours because my father was an educator, not professionally. He was an educated person. Uh, and he wanted his children to be educated. And he as a Holocaust survivor, not in a death camp by any stretch of the imagination, only in a labor camp. But he, he took me to the Eichmann trial. It transformed my life. It made me involved in things that I could have ignored and could have just tried to change my life. I would force kids to be free. I would force them to be free to understand their own history and to understand what happened to the Jewish people, and to understand their own families, in some cases, ignoring such horror uh, and moving on with their lives. Uh, This is a necessity that needs to be done by each teacher knowing his or her students uh, and not to be ignored. And it shouldn't be done only one day a year. It should be done. The the period right after the crusade, put Abba Rachman into the davening. I know why you shouldn't add things to formal davening. I know halachically why. I got smichas and Torah with that, but I can tell you <laughs> that we've all failed. Religious Jews particularly who are committed every day have failed and failed, continue to fail. It's no good. Lo sishkach. We should read the Parsha informally today. We should read it often, and we should remember always. Do you uh, do you worry about the future of the Jewish people in the United States of America, especially I do. especially as you recall? I worry particularly because of their comfort level. Uh, everybody's concerned with their comfort level, and then they're surprised when they're not comfortable. Uh, I believe that people should be made uncomfortable as often as possible. I believe in comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable, and the United <laughs> States is a perfect place in which to start, because we're the most yeah. comfortable. Plenty of opportunity here to do that, that's for sure. That's correct. 
Dr. Israel Singer, uh, he is a, a political science professor at Turo College. Uh, he, of course, uh, is former president of the Claims Conference and a noted Holocaust educator with some important messages today. Information, by the way, about all the formal education in the world of Jewish history and in the, um, the uh, on the topic of modern Jewish history and the Holocaust, specifically at Turo. Go to turo.edu, turo.edu. And as we always recommend, we always recommend to parents and grandparents out there, suggest to your children just how important a real, a real course of study is in any area. You know, not these, uh, well, I'm not going to get into it now, but but a real course of study with real professors and and, and real time put into it, etc., like they have at Turo. Uh, when it comes to this area, Jewish history and, uh, and, and the education uh, about the Holocaust, uh, recommend it as well, that if, if a student wants to pursue it, they should pursue it in a very serious manner with real educators and in a formal program like they have at uh, Turo. Dr. Israel Singer, I thank you, and I hope that uh, uh, what you've told us this morning will resonate with everybody young and old, and that not just today, but every day we remember. Uh, we remember, and we don't forget on this Yom HaShoah. Thank you. A pleasure. Dr. Israel Singer at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NahumSegal.com, and the NahumSegal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app.
our past with bad memories. Tears of water, a forest of trees. We are the fruit and the moisture. We shan't forget the axe. Chimneys were smoking, the world turned blind. How could this happen to our very own Are you? 
Six million tears fell to the ground. J.M. and the A.M. on this Yom HaShoah. Day 11 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Uh, we've had somewhat of a tradition here on Yom HaShoah over the last few years. We've brought Leon Goldenberg into our studio. We've had full-length conversations because his uh, family's history is so uh, connected to the uh, Shoah, connected to World War II. I'm going to strongly suggest that if you uh, go to our website and search, literally search Leon Goldenberg, you listen to some of those conversations from past Yom HaShoah presentations, the stories of his mother and uh, her sisters. They are chilling. They um, emphasize uh, what our uh, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents went through in that era, and it's really important. Uh, Today I asked Leon to join us, um, uh, not for one of those full-length conversations, but in the context of what he's been discussing with us recently here in New York, we're expecting uh, changes over the next few months. It's one of the reasons he's going to be presenting uh, interviews with candidates for mayor uh, each Wednesday in um, April, May, and June, right after JM and the AM. Um, but uh, we really are bringing him on today for, for two important messages. One, that uh, as precarious a position as we are in now in this area, especially in light of the pandemic and the politics in the United States, etc., cetera, uh, we are still way better off than those from his past and our past. And uh, the second message, of course, is uh, to be wary. Uh, Just the opposite, that uh, even though things are the way they are, you never know when they can change. And that's something that his uh, relatives uh, saw firsthand. Uh, Leon, uh, thank you so much for joining us again on this uh, Yom HaShoah here at JM in the AM. Thank you for having me again. It's a very difficult subject for me always. Uh, it brings back memories of my family. Not that I lived through it, but I lived through it through hearing about it. And it was, as you've told us in the past, uh, you heard about it uh, not immediately uh, after it happened, or not even close to when it happened. Sometimes, or very often, I should say, it took time for survivors to to open up and uh, and bring these stories both to their children and to the greater community. So it's partially true. Uh, from my father's side, he never, ever spoke. But he did pass away 46 years ago. Right. And uh, certainly unexpectedly, uh, a very short illness. And, um, and I was young, and I was probably too stupid to ask him and to press him. But he really, by him, the world started, as far as we were concerned, in 1947 when he met my mother. And he never discussed life before that, not the war, not the first two years after the war, and certainly uh, and not even the years when he grew up in Europe and was married. And if you permit me, I wrote sure. I wrote an obituary many years ago uh, about my father, and I just want to read the first, you know, beginning. I don't, mm-hmm. don't want to read the whole thing. No problem. A fire burns within me. With these words, my father, Avram Abba Goldmerk, started his last will and testament. Our family found a single-page testament after my father's untimely passing, some, that was 38 years ago. This was not a will to distribute his worldly assets, but a cry to heaven to avenge the murder of almost his entire family to Hurm Europe. A fire burned within him as he wrote the names on, on this tear-stained page. The members of his immediate family who perished in the Nazi inferno. The first person he listed was his mother. 
and then the siblings one by one and their respective spouses and families. And finally at the bottom, drenched in tears, he lists his wife and five children, Sri Hersh, Yehudas, Chayesta, Sarifka, and Cyril Khanna, and one son and four daughters. In this letter written to the heavens, he asked God to keep in mind that they all died as God-fearing Jews, with their hopes, dreams, and promises extinguished, yet sanctifying his name, and therefore his plea to the Almighty was that they deserved to go directly to heaven. At the same time, he reminded God to remember the destruction that Nazis had brought on the entire Jewish people, and on his family in particular. Were they not human beings with hopes, promises, for the future. You know what's uh, unique and amazing about your family history? On one side you have the essence of destruction, and on the other side you have the essence of survival. It is unbelievable, the narrative that that you have in your family. But it's not just my family. Uh, Michael Berenbaum wrote an article just yesterday in Jewish News Service. Uh, He's a historian on the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the legacy of the survivors. And that really is something that we have to take out. We have to, of course, memorialize the six million, including my five siblings, from my father's side. Right. Every sibling that my father had, he came out alone. My father-in-law came out a sole survivor of one of eight children. Uh, my father lost uh, his brothers, sisters, brother-in-laws. One sister-in-law survived with two nieces. All the rest, they were all married. All the rest of them were perished. The Rav in the town that we came from, Chaim Yehuda Leib Goldmerk, who I happened to be named after, my father's first cousin, had 12 children. All, I assume they were all married because they, you know, he became Rav in, in 1918. He was already 40. Right. Not one single survivor from the entire family. Not one single survivor from the entire family. So it, it's complete families that were completely, completely wiped out. On the other hand, all of these survivors, and they're, and they're really passing very quickly now, very rapidly, mm-hmm. all of these survivors made a decision whether they should remain from, whether they should become from, whether they should become not from. Each one, each one, if you think they just woke up when they were liberated, whether it was in Auschwitz on January, I think, 19th, 1945, or my mother and our sisters when they were liberated in Germany, uh, in, I think it was April 4th of 1945, if you think that all of these came out of the camps and said, I was from before the war, I'll be from after the war, and no big deal. Each one, each one went through his own hell in his mind and her mind, thinking what they went through, realizing going back home in most cases and finding almost no family or minimal members of the family still alive, seeing the destruction of their homes, of their livelihoods, of everything. And if you think that each one said, no problem, I'll be from again, Mm -hmm. I can't begin to think what went through their minds. I really can't. And look at the families they built subsequently. Leon Goldenberg is with us on this Yomar Shoah. I've asked you to address two points this morning um, in the context of looking back and at the same time uh, living the way we are here in the United States and other parts of the world on this Yomar Shoah. Uh, you've been um, concerned and you've expressed that concern over the last few months about the future of Jews in New York and the future of our community in the United States in general. 
Um, the, the stories you've told us over the years are gripping. Uh, again, I'm recommending to the listeners you have to go and hear the stories that Leon has told us on prior Yom HaShoah programs just to understand and appreciate the background that he comes from and what he brings to the table when we discuss issues of today. I want to do both, the positive and the negative. How do you view things when you see the, thank God, luxury and comfort that we live in now, including in the New York area? And how do you view things in the context of history when you see certain directions that both New York and this country are going in in 2021? I don't believe that we're coming to the end of Jewish life in America, although, although, Rabchaim Velazhin, in a very famous statement that he made, and he passed away, I think, in 1816, before there was the Golden Medina, right. said that the final resting place of Torah would be on the, wet, on the North American continent. Hmm. Um, so it probably will be. I don't believe we're in that much danger, but we have to be careful. There's danger from the right. There's a lot worse danger from the left. And why do I say that? The right, the crazy right, is much, much smaller. Okay? There, there are plenty of them, and they're very dangerous. And they're the ones with the guns. But it's the far left that's much more of a concern to me because they are controlling the powers of the media. They are controlling the movies, the TV shows. They're controlling everything. There was an interesting article about two weeks ago uh, in the paper about how, although the U.S. Republicans won in 1968 with Richard Nixon and everybody thought, but really the left won because the movies and the TV, which people don't realize, were pushing a progressive agenda. At that time, that agenda was what we would look back now and call very moderate and very yeah. reasonable. Mild, yeah. Which, not just mild, but things that really were important. Civil rights, right. uh, which was really an important issue, which, you know, uh, President Johnson had just a few years earlier signed the Civil Rights uh, Voting Act right. and all the other things. So they were pushing that agenda. Now the agenda is woke, cancel, which is very anti-Semitic. And a challenge to freedom of speech. And a challenge to freedom of speech. And that is a real problem. And we in New York can't say anything against the left because New York is an extremely liberal state and city especially, and moving further to the left. And there is the, the danger in New York, I don't believe at this point, is, uh, I don't want to say physical, but you know, anti-Semitism, because the leaders are still very, very uh, against anti-Semitism, pro-Israel. Right, you would, say gener- next- you would say generally it hasn't gotten violent yet. Right, but, it, but, the, but the left, the progressives, are making gains. And we as a community, if we don't come out to vote in strong, strong numbers, we'll face in certain districts progressives that are so far to the left, like an AOC, who for the first time spoke to Michael Miller of, of the JCRC. She's in office two years, two and a quarter years, and she finally got up to speak to, a, to the Jewish community when Michael Miller reached out to her after the primary right. when she first won. Was that an impressive presentation, or you wouldn't describe it no, that way? No, 
no, no, no. But at least, at least it was a conversation. Communication, right? Uh, communication, uh, which, which, but many of the left uh, don't want to talk to anybody that supports Israel. And that's really a problem. It's funny because, I mean, today's Yom HaShoah, obviously, and, and generally speaking, again, you know, the, uh, we, we look back at the past and, and uh, you have these uh, very inspiring tales of survival that you tell us uh, almost firsthand. I mean, it's your family. Um, but yet the, uh, the bottom line is that when we look to our future, everything that you've been preaching all these decades uh, ends up being the key, and that's voter registration as... You know, as mundane as it sounds, voter registration and getting out and supporting the right candidates. It's amazing that with everything that we have in our history, uh, the antidote, it seems, for this direction that New York and this country are going in is really simple. And that's get out there and get involved. I will tell you this. We had an election, a primary election last year. For the DA, it was a special election right. uh, for the DA of Queens, mm-hmm. and uh, Tiffany Caban almost won. Right. She lost by fifty to sixty votes, which means that any one shul in Queens, any one shul in Queens, had they come out to vote in full force, husbands, wives, and and children above eighteen, which, by the way. All 17-year-olds should be registering. If you turn 18, you can register. My granddaughter registered at 17, and on her birthday, she's able to vote. So if if the uh, primary is June 22nd or 23rd, if your birthday is before that, you can vote. But you can register at 17 already. And it's really very simple. Online, less than five minutes, you get registered. But Tiffany Caban lost by 50 to 60 votes. There are 3 million people in Queens. How many votes was the total vote count for the, uh, for the DA in Queens? Meaning, meaning, meaning how many people out of 3 million voted? Actually voted, right. What's the answer? 100,000. <laughs> Tiffany Caban got 30,000-odd votes. Miss um, Katz, I don't know why her first name slips me right was that now. Mel- was that Melinda? Or? Melinda. Right. Melinda Katz uh, got 30-some-odd thousand votes right. and won by 50 to 60 votes. Queens learned its lesson. There was a council race uh, after uh, in, in Queens. Oh, the Gennaro uh, election, right. Right. They, right. Came, they came out for that one. They came out in droves, yeah. and Gennaro won. They were running against the DSA. The right. DSA, for those that don't know, is the Democratic Socialists of America. Right. They are supporting now six members in the city council strongly. They bring out the vote. And if you read what their agenda is, if you are an elected official and you're thinking to visit Israel, they will not support you. Right. You have to sign look, that you will not visit Israel. Look, this is why, you know, when my grandmother came here as a refugee from, from Germany, I and mean, this is why, you know, voting was sacrosanct. I mean, this is why they would never miss an election, because they understood that this is what it's all about. The right to vote shouldn't be taken for granted, and the activity, the active uh, way of either, you know, continuing things or changing things, you know, in a different direction, it's all about what happens at the ballot box. Uh, I hope, I mean, well, we're going to spend time, as we always do, you know, on this issue 
as we move forward and try to convince people to get involved in this way. Uh, Leon, I want to thank you. It's Yom HaShoah. Uh, we dedicate, obviously, this conversation like we do every year uh, to your family members from both sides, stories of destruction and stories of survival that are so important for people to hear on a day like today. And uh, moving forward, hopefully the memory of yesterday, uh, of yesteryear, um, uh, will encourage us not to be forgetful, but instead to remember and to remember the lessons of the past and hopefully implement, as you've suggested, some real practical methods as we uh, look to the future. Thank you so much for joining one, us tonight. One, yeah. last, sure. one last thing. Yeah. For those of you that know a Holocaust survivor, doesn't have to be a relative, somebody in your building, somebody on your block, it's the last chance to hear from them directly what they went through. And for your children to hear it. And for your children to hear it. Go, children, go to your grandparents, to your great-grandparents, those that still are lucky enough to have them alive. Go to your neighbor, talk to them, hear their stories, hear what they went through. Great message. Thank you, Leon. Leon Goldenberg, an annual tradition for us here on Yom HaShoah, Thursday morning, day 11 in the County of the Omer, and you are listening to JM in the AM. J.M. in the A.M. Thursday morning, Yom HaShoah. There's a brand new book out there. It's entitled The Man Across the River. It's written by Tzvi Wiesenfeld. Tzvi Wiesenfeld studied political science at Yeshiva University and forensic accounting at John Jay College. He works as a financial investigator and business writer in New York City. He wrote this book... The Man Across the River, to honor the memory of his grandfather, Holocaust survivor Jacob Wiesenfeld. Again, the book is called The Man Across the River. Tzvi Wiesenfeld, thank you for joining us on this Yom HaShoah at JM in the AM. Thank you for having me, Nachum. It's a pleasure to be here. 
appreciate that. Uh, what might be even more fat, and the story's amazing. I mean, the novel, and, and, and no secret, it's a combination, as you point out, on more than one occasion. It's a combination of, uh, of truth, meaning actual uh, stories that happened to your grandfather, actual episodes that happened to your grandfather, intertwined with the novel format that you've incorporated. What, what might be even more fascinating than the book itself is that you as a grandson decided that you have to go ahead and do the research and piece all this together and present your grandfather's story in this manner. Could you, Before we talk about the actual book, could you take us back to the time where you had this epiphany that you have to go ahead, start the research, and put this all together? Sure, yeah. It was actually it was about 2015 or maybe early 2016. I was actually on Glory side at the time. And I was talking to my, my oldest sister, Hani, and we were talking about my grandfather and his experience and what he went through. Um, and, uh, and it occurred to me that we are the last generation, most likely, to know Holocaust survivors personally. Um, and in a sense, uh, the Holocaust dies with us, with our generation. Um, and that really struck me. And then I was just, um, I really just felt compelled to, to get my father's, my grandfather's, my grandfather's story down while I still could, while people knew him was still alive. Um, it was at that moment that I just, that I, I felt the need to write, to write the book and tell the story. And, um, <laughs> so, so you had an opportunity I, I would assume in a in a number of sessions to actually speak with him directly. Um, actually, no. Uh, how, my, my my grandfather passed away in two thousand seven. So how did uh, you? Was, so how did you go about? Like, uh, so how did you go about doing the research then? So the first thing I did was I interviewed everybody who knew him who was still alive. Um, my parents, aunts and uncles, cousins, distant cousins, people who knew him from shul, his doctor, his rabbi, everyone who knew him. Um, my, my grandfather himself was, was very modest, very quiet, very reserved, and never spoke about his past. He never spoke to me about, about the Holocaust. He passed away when I was 18 years old, um, when I was in Israel for the year. Um, and he didn't really speak to anyone much about it. Um, but over the process of interviewing, you know, over a dozen people several times, um, I was able to pick up anecdotes, different stories. Things started to come together. I was able to, to, to piece together uh, a narrative. Of, of, of what happened to him. Um, I also uh, contacted a number of, of institutions. The U.S. Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. was particularly helpful. They sent me a trove of documentation about him that they uncovered. The Evo Institute in New York as well. Um, I contacted the, the, the uh, governments of, of Romania and Ukraine, although they weren't very helpful at all. So, so, um, before, so before Tzvi Wiesenfeld is with us, the book is called The Man Across the River. So before 2007, before his passing, did you have direct conversations with him about his past, or was it something wasn't that wasn't discussed? I never spoke to him about the Holocaust. So you never had a conversation with your grandfather regarding his experiences in World War II, yet you were able to write a book based on his experiences. Pretty cool. And I would assume your background, or what now is your background as a forensic investigator, helped a lot, right? I, I assume you're somebody who takes research meticulously and very seriously. Yeah, uh, I think that, that that's that's pretty accurate. It's definitely helped and definitely helped point me in the right direction as to where to look for documentation, what questions to ask, how to conduct interviews, that kind of thing. And um, it, you had to depend on the fact that it, you know if he wouldn't say anything or didn't, in fact, you know, speak to you directly about these experiences, you had to depend on the fact that there were people in his life that he did speak to when you interviewed the people that you just mentioned, the list of 
and the categories of people that you went to, his doctor, friends, shul people, etc. I mean, w- did they tell you that, in fact, they heard directly from him about his experiences? Or, again, were you piecing it together just based on, I don't know, what they conjectured or you know assumed about him? Well, um, they all said the same thing. Uh, they all said, your grandfather never spoke about the Holocaust, but he did tell me this one story. Or he did tell me these two stories over all the years I've known him. Got it. Um, wow. And, you know, there were some people that he told more than others. Um, there, were some, there were certain things that family members heard from friends of him, friends of his, or people who knew him in Europe. A lot of it was secondhand. Um, and that's how I was able to put it all together. But that's where the get, a lot of the guesswork came in, and obviously the dialogue is all, is all, is all invented. Right. Understood. Unbelievable. How old was your grandfather at the time when the war ended? Uh, well, when he got to America in 1948, he was 20. He was 25 years old. So when he, the war ended about three years prior, he was about 22 years old. So he essentially, and, and I'm always fascinated when we hear stories of survivors like this, although I don't know why this age group would, would affect me more than others, but he spent his teenage years as uh, as a prisoner, as a as a uh, a refugee. I mean, you, you could you could you know toss a lot of different. Uh, um, a- adjectives into into how he's or nouns, I should say, into how he spent his teenage years. Yes, uh, that's correct. From about the years of, of the uh, about the ages of eighteen to twenty two was when he was in the Holocaust. Unbelievable. Uh, and it, it just uh, where does the story start? Uh, what city? What country was he from? Is it pl- a place you visited or a place that uh, you spent a lot of time researching? I've never visited it, but I have spent a lot of time researching it. I've read every book I can find on the topic. It's a city, uh, now what's called Chernitsky. At the time, the Jewish population called it Chernivish, which is the, which is the, the Yiddish pronunciation. Um, it, was, it was a city on the outskirts of Romania at the time, sort of this unprotected um, annexation that was once part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, and throughout the years, it, 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 it has gone through a lot of different masters, Russia and Germany, um, Soviet Union. Um, and uh, and it was had uh, it was a large city, a surviving Jewish community. It had a Jewish quarter, which is where my grandfather lived um, in the, the city of Chernovich. Right, you just right, you described that Jewish quarter very similar to a lot of other you know cities that have you know neighborhoods or areas that are heavily Jewish. I was going to ask you yeah. if, if you would describe the city as a heavily Jewish one, but again, I think you just basically said it right. It's essentially a, a city that had a large Jewish presence in a specific area. Oh, for sure, and especially as the war broke out and a number of Jewish re- refugees streamed in from the countryside, um, fleeing the advancing Germans, the Jewish population swelled, swelled to about 50% of the entire city population. Right. You know what's funny about your book, uh, Tzvi Wiesenfeld's with us, The Man Across the River, uh, a book he wrote about his grandfather, a novel form, but he wrote it about his grandfather and his uh, uh, experiences during World War II. Uh, after all the extensive research he'd done, we're highly recommending the book to everybody, especially on the Yom HaShoah. You know, what's interesting about the book, especially for someone like me, who's a very, very nonfiction person and uh, and rarely ever picks up a, a fictitious book, you have a, a really strange balance that you have to maintain. Um, uh, you know, at the end of the book, for instance, when you're talking about his experiences, meaning your grandfather or the person that, uh, you know, the character in the in the story, you know, has is in Manhattan, Lower East Side, uh, uh, passes away in Brooklyn, etc. I mean, I, I I am working on the assumption that most of those basic facts are, in fact, you know, truths about your grandfather. How does one balance the fiction of a novel, the fiction rather of a novel, and the nonfiction of his experiences when putting together a book like this? 
that's a good question, Nachum. And I guess I guess the best answer is that you know I knew my grandfather, knew him well, and um, and knowing his personality, knowing that he was just a gentle, kind, very modest person, I tried to 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 put myself in his shoes and imagine how he would have acted, how he would have spoken, um, what his attitudes would have been in 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 these situations that I knew to be factual, and uh, built built a character around that. Very interesting. Um, most inspirational story with I mean, and there's a lot of material here, as you know. Uh, a most inspirational story to you, if you were asked to tell one tale from the Man Across the River or one aspect of your grandfather's life, especially back then before he got to the U.S., what would you say? Um, when my grandfather was in the ghetto in Ridgeville, uh, the first ghetto he was in, in the Transnistria, and he he considered himself a, a strong person. Um, he thought he was going to die soon, um, and that his friends and his brother would 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 outlive him. Um, and um, a friend of his, who's in the book, asked him. He said, "If I die first, can you please give me Jewish burial? Because you know the Jewish cemetery they weren't taking any more any more any more bodies." Um, and he said, "I don't think I'll look to, I'll look to, to, to do so, but I um I, I do commit to to, to, to to giving the proper tahara." Um, his friend ultimately died, collapsed from from starvation, and my my grandfather. Um, he took it upon himself to, to he kept his word and buried his friend, gave him, gave him a proper Jewish burial, and he committed for the rest of the war to give uh, victims of the Holocaust a proper Jewish burial whenever he could. That's uh, the kind of person he was. What is someone like you, and um, you know, and and you know, people in your age group think of heroism like that? I could see people, you know, wondering why that would be such a priority. Uh, why that would be so important to a man like your grandfather? Uh, what do you think when you, when you hear about and then eventually write about an episode like that and dedication to our tradition and heritage? Uh, it's you know it's, it's very humbling. It's difficult to imagine that kind of bravery, this kind of heroism. Um, our lives today in America are pretty easy, um, mm-hmm. and not to have to encounter that kind of that kind of situation. Um, it's, it's 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 kind of hard to. Um, one of the things we think about or, or often discuss, uh, especially when it comes to next generation, uh, are guilt feelings that one experiences because of what their parent or grandparent had gone through. And you, know, you have this burden, like you just described, the comfort of lu- and luxury of, you know, of living here, you know, where, where, where the greatest challenges of life are, are a joke compared to their greatest challenges. Um, when you when you researched this and became much more familiar with your grandfather's life, was that something that uh, that that grew that type of feeling, or actually because you were working on it and felt that you were helping to memorialize him, it actually lessened that type of feeling? Uh, I, I I would say it grew, um, but balanced by the knowledge that um, that my grandfather worked so hard. Uh, when he came to America, because he wanted to, he wanted his family to have a good life, and he wanted everybody to be to be safe and healthy and taken care of, and um, that was that was his goal, and that was his primary concern: was taking care of his family, working hard, and his show in his community. Um, so I try to keep to keep that in mind and use that to balance, you know, the the, the guilt, as you say, of, of not having to have, not having had experience what what he went through and so many others went through. And when you write about the experiences in the ghetto. Um, again, I, I, you know, not, not, not to, not to make this all about your research and how you did it, but uh, I mean, were there accounts about that specific ghetto that, uh, that you were able to utilize and, and include, or was it more conjecture or just based on general ghetto experiences of Jews in Europe? 
How would you describe uh, what we see on the pages about his experiences in the ghetto? So all those instances, um, all the stories and things that my grandfather saw, or at least he saw on the pages of the book, um, actually happened and came from history. I didn't make up any specific instance out of whole cloth. Um, uh, when, when, when I tried to paint a picture or illustrate what the various ghettos and, and camps that you were in were, were, were like, I, I pulled them from the pages of history. So that is all true in that sense. Pretty amazing. Um, Svi Wiesenfeld, the book is called The Man Across the River. You know, we're recommending the book, uh, um, especially on this Yom HaShoah, but I want, I want to make a point that I, I, I essentially would think you'd agree with this, but I, I don't think this is the case with a lot of books regarding the Holocaust. I think this is really appropriate for the younger people in the audience, meaning not just for the younger, the older as well, but often we're hesitant to give a younger uh, a person, a kid in our community, a, a book that might be frightening, a book that you know would include things that are difficult to, to handle. But it, the, I, I think the way you've done this, I think this is really a good read for a teenager. Do you agree that this could really enhance a teenager's understanding of what Jews back then went through? Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it is it is uh, um, a pretty easy read in, in in the sense that like the uh, the the jargon and the narrative isn't dense or anything of the story. It's also right. it's a fairly short read as well. Right. Um, so I, I I didn't originally intend to write it for kids or for for uh, for a younger audience, but I do find that a lot of a lot of kids and teenagers are reading it and and enjoying getting getting a lot from it. So really nice. I think it is true. In general, I hope you're getting good reaction. I am. Very nice. Tzvi Wiesenfeld, The Man Across the River, easiest way for people to obtain this book, Tzvi? Um, get it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Call uh, Kavod. I, 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 am sure, <laughs> I am sure there are a lot of grandchildren in this audience who thought about writing a book based on what they heard directly or indirectly about their grandparents' experiences, 99% of them, I would assume, never got around to it. It must be a very satisfying feeling that you able that you actually accomplished this. It certainly is. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Nachum. Svi Wiesenfeld. The book is called The Man Across the River. Highly recommending it, and get it for your kids. Uh, this is not one of those, you know, frightening books about World War II. Even the tough parts are, you know, are, are really easy to digest. Let's put it that way. Or easier, I should say. Nothing about World War II is easy to digest. Uh, but easier than a lot of other works. And, of course, you know, the part after getting to the United States is a uh, one of great inspiration. I mean, it's all inspiration, but you get my point. Anyway, it's called The Man Across the River. Zvi Wiesenfeld spells his name Z-V-I-W-I-E-S-E-N-F-E-L-D. And if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, as he recommended, uh, the book is readily available. And if you have, not that this is an Amazon commercial, but those of you who are Prime members can actually have the book for Shabbos. How do you like that? It is Yom HaShoah morning, day 11 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's a Yom HaShoah Holocaust Memorial Day morning at JM in the AM. A child was born into this world in 1933. A blessing for a Jewish home in Frankfurt, Germany. His father taught him olive base. He learned to read and write. Each night he heard his mother say these words to him. Yosef, my son, the Lord our God is one. God is very near, 
Yosef, my dear. Yosef, my son, we are the chosen ones. Do not fear, we'll always be together. Yosef was a boy of nine in 1942. He had a secret hiding place, like all young children do. Horrified, he saw them take his mom and dad away. Alone, he heard his mother's final words to him. Yosef, my son, take some food and run. God is very near, Yosef, my dear. Yosef, my son, we are the chosen ones. Do not fear, we'll always be together. To feel his hand on the western wall was a lifelong dream come true. He'd made it to Jerusalem, the city of the Jews. He opened up his sitter as he had done each day. He prayed to God for his mother and his father. And an old man stood there praying for a son he thought long dead. That voice, that's my father's voice, was all that Yosef said. He looked into the old man's eyes. Tears came down his face. He fell into his father's embrace. Yosef, my son, the Lord our God is one. Now come, your mother's here, Yosef, my dear. Yosef, my son, a miracle has been done. From now on, we'll always be together. Yosef, my son.
J.M. and the A.M., the uh, album is entitled Heritage, from the Museum of Jewish Heritage, a living memorial to the Holocaust, on this Yom HaShoah. I greatly appreciate the comments on the app. There are some comments relating to uh, our programming from today that are really meaningful, and I thank you all for doing that. And if you ever wonder if it's worthwhile to comment, it's a tremendous uh, boost for us when we see people react the way you have this morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, I remind you that um, we are trying very hard during these times to help get people jobs. If you have a resume you'd like to get to us, your own or somebody else's, anything in the Jewish not-for-profit professional realm will be passed on to our friends at the Joel Paul Group. Otherwise, we will be uh, trying very hard to match people up with employment. Send it in, resume at NahumSiegel.com, resume, R-E-S-U-M-E at NahumSiegel.com. And again, we will try our best, and we pray for success in that area and so many other areas. I remind you that um, if you'd like to sponsor any part of our broadcast in memory of somebody, um, in honor of somebody, whatever it might be, go to fjbunity.org and click on Sponsorship Opportunities, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, or by Uden's Words Tomorrow can be sponsored. Uh, candle lighting time announcements can be sponsored. Uh, so many things. JMNAM can be sponsored. Uh, it helps us tremendously, and uh, it might fill a need for you in terms of uh, honoring someone's memory or paying tribute to somebody whose yard site might be around now, whatever the case may be. FJBUnity.org, FJBUnity.org. Click on Sponsorship Opportunities, and we thank you. Achenu Israel and Achimachem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web and Achimachem, and the Achimachem Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. And the fact that we could play this... The fact that it exists, a national anthem of the state of Israel. Next week, we celebrate 73 years of the state of Israel. The fact that we're able to play this and be inspired by it. Just one of the uh, differences between now and the time of the Shoah. Thanks so much for tuning in. Tomorrow morning, we're back. Weekly update and more. Plenty coming up today, including uh, our broadcasts. Here at the Nahum Siegel Network, Charlie Harari on Yom HaShoah coming up. Uh, we have um, we have uh, Michael Fragan at 9.30 with Spin Class. Allison Josephs as Scott A. Shea. The book is called In Good Faith at 10 o'clock. Miriam L. Wallach at 10.30 with the Chala artist from Berlin, Germany, known as the Chala Prince, Idan Chabasov. 10.30 for that's life, and we'll speak to you during the live lunch tonight. 7 p.m. Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Make sure to tune in. Till next time, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.